One of Barack Obama's final acts as president was the commutation of the 35-year sentence of Army intelligence analyst Chelsea Manning, who revealed documents of military and diplomatic activities to WikiLeaks. How has the U.S. government and military, as well as all types of organizations, evolved their insider threat defenses since the Manning's disclosures, as well as those by then-National Security Agency contract analyst Edward Snowden in 2013? Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group, and I pose that question to Randy Trezak of the Software Engineering Institute's CERT Insider Threat Center at Carnegie Mellon University. Many times back then, almost six to eight years ago, it was a trust model that relied upon a security clearance process that did proper vetting of employees. But where the organizations back then tended to be a bit limited is in the trust but verification of the activities that were happening on networks and systems. Why did organizations like the military rely only on background checks? Because the background check for a person going through a United States security clearance was pretty thorough. As you went and vetted people, you spent a significant amount of time and effort to determine trust of that individual. But what we've seen over the course of the years is that the initial verification would happen, and then the process would be every five to seven years later, there would be a re-verification of the determinants of trust. And there's a significant amount of changes that could happen in the five to seven year period that might in incentivize someone to want to do something maliciously against an organization. You know, those incentives could be things that would overcome financial stress or financial need or other types of professional stressors. As the the government and the security process now is evolving, we're seeing many organizations that are going to more of a continuous evaluation model to where the vetting happens on the way in or as you're getting a clearance, but the continual evaluation of those risk indicators to determine that someone is continually able to be trusted with the protection of critical assets, whether that be in the DOD, the federal government, or in industry. So the model used to be that it was a one-time process and then five five to seven years later was another process. And a number of the insider incidents that we were able to analyze, it happened in between those particular periods. And that's really where the government is moving now to have a continual evaluation of trust as opposed to every five to seven years. Automation costs more? Well, if you were to automate the process to where you would have the potential data that is used to determine clearance available to a person on a regular basis, it wouldn't necessarily be more expensive. Where the expense would have historically been is where an investigator would spend the time and effort to collect the information, to verify the information, to perform the interviews, and then have to do that over a significant period of time. As we're moving to the more automated process, to where if one of those red flag indicators that an investigator historically would encounter as part of the investigation were automatically provided as an alert in a particular system, that would have a less cost than someone trying to track that down and verify and vet that particular red flag that would be used for determinations of trust. How do automated systems work? If we use the example of background checks. The federal government uses a number of criteria by which they determine if a person could obtain a clearance. And again, this is publicly available information in terms of what you would need to fill out as part of your SF-86, which is the information you'd fill out to get a clearance. So it asks information about foreign contacts. It asks about foreign travel, foreign investments. It asks about arrest records, civil judgments against individuals. So if you were to envision a process by which is an automated way to collect that information, 
pull it into one central location, then we could have a process that would automate and alert when one of those potential red flags happens, and then that could be provided to an adjudicator as opposed to asking an applicant to fill it out, asking the investigator to verify and vet that, and then to talk to the applicant to confirm that that was actually true as it relates to that determinations of trust. You talk about foreign travel. Would these systems have access to uh, travel records of uh, individuals? So we don't necessarily have insight into the systems they're developing. We're just providing uh, insight into the types of systems they're trying to build. So depending on the type of organization, they may have access to those systems and those records. We don't know specifically since we're not involved with the security clearance process in the government in terms of how they're implementing it today. But ideally, if that data source is available and they're granted authorized access, the automated way to collect the information and analyze the information should make the process more efficient. What are some of the tools used for continual monitoring? There are tools that can collect data that look for certain potential risk indicators and alert on that activity. The tools that tend to exist today that are doing insider threat detection capabilities, there are general tools that are considered user activity monitoring tools or user behavioral analytic tools. The uh, other types of IT tools that might help with this are the SIM tools, That's security information and event management software. Basically, what those are able to do, they just integrate logs from across the organization and allow you to provide data analytics on top of that. So, for example, a SIM tool can take a log that's generated from a DLP tool, a data loss prevention tool, or from your intrusion detection system or the intrusion prevention systems. So there's a category of tool which are generally described as SIM tools that take the logs that are generated across the organization. So the SIM tools are just log aggregation tools to pull the data together, and then you pull those together, and then you can do alerting. I would envision that the continuous evaluation could be built on that same type of model that pulls data from a number of sources and provides the ability to write the alerts on top of the data once aggregated and alert when certain conditions are met. A new topic. The government has whistleblower programs where government employees and contractors can go to report what they perceive are misdeeds conducted by the government. But some whistleblowers either don't trust those programs or have their complaints rejected. These people feel passionate about their cause and bypass for whatever reason the whistleblower programs. How can these people who aren't pilfering sensitive classified data for personal gain be discovered? Let's say, for an example, a government organization has classified information that they're entrusted to protect. Obviously, there will be controls put in place on the accessing of the system, though certainly one of the detection capabilities might be someone trying to access a system outside of their need to know. That might be one of the automated alerts that come out of a tool or a technology. Once someone accesses a system and they access information outside of their authorized access, an alert can come out of the system to provide insight into a security analyst within the organization. If someone goes into a controlled area, logs into a protected system, and they introduce, for example, removable media or an unauthorized device where someone might be able to download information onto something they can walk out with. Certainly an automated alert could be triggered when someone introduces a USB device or some other removable media into the system. Another alert could be raised when someone tries to download information onto 
remove media. Or if someone tries to send email off of the network onto some personal email account or to some competitor or some foreign organization. As you look to build the insider threat program, there could be a number of technical risk indicators that could be alerted through a tool or technology to detect someone who's trying to compromise that critical asset in the example we provided, which is classified information. Really what we want to be able to do is to have that defense in depth strategy of vetting and verifying people to determine trust, granting authorized access, and then the verification is a number of things that could happen when someone threatens the critical asset and the asset could be classified information. So another scenario might be if someone, for example, access classified information and they physically print something, an alert could be raised when someone prints a document or if someone changes the headers of a document to remove classification markings. What you described are good processes to catch someone in the act. But what are the characteristics of a whistleblower or perhaps an activist that could be used to build a profile of an insider who poses a threat? When you look to build an insider threat program, you're trying to build them an automated system to detect when certain things happen. So for example, you want to try to detect when someone may be motivated to feel information to overcome some type of financial need. So when you build the insider threat program, you want to avoid the perception or even the reality of profiling people. What you want to do is look for certain activities that you have access to to identify someone who may be doing something of concern. So if people are on your network or system searching for ways to exfiltrate data, an alert might happen when you go to a certain website. Or if you use another example of if someone is concerned about a potential polygraph that might come up, if I'm searching on my internet for ways to beat a polygraph. You know, those are specific actions that can be detected by an organization that might indicate somebody may be likely to do something later on that might be of concern to the organization. And what you want to do when you build an insider threat program and what is clearly written in the the National Insider Threat Task Force minimum standards and guidance is that you do need to protect the privacy and civil liberties of your employees. To the best of your ability, try to detect certain activity that's consistently looked for across your entire employee population as opposed to selectively turning on the alerts for certain people that you perceive to trust or not trust. Consistency in the Insider Threat Program is very essential to ensure you are protecting the privacy and civil liberties of your employees. If you go to the ideological reasons that you talked about before, someone stealing information for ideological reasons, you might be able to have some type of detection capabilities in place to detect when people are searching for certain websites or going to certain websites or communicating electronically with certain people outside your organization that might be sympathetic to the same ideological reasons. The tools and technologies are looking for behavior of concern that is clearly defined and it's consistently enforced for that same activity that will alert on anyone who does it as opposed to a person that you may or may not trust. That's the important component of an insider threat program, consistency of implementation and looking for activity as opposed to the opinions or belief of somebody who is more likely to be doing something of concern to the organization. After the Snowden leak surfaced, then-National Security Agency Director Keith Alexander implemented a two-person rule that requires two individuals to jointly approve access to systems and files that contain highly classified material. Such a process would prevent a lone wolf from pilfering classified information. Has that approach been widely adopted in government and industry? 
When we look at organizations, it tends to be that larger organizations that have larger staff tend to have the resources to be able to implement dual control. The challenge becomes when you have a small to mid-sized organization where you have limited IT resources, implementing separation of duties and dual control can become challenging to those small to mid-sized organizations. On the New York Times homepage, there's a box with the headline, Got a Confidential Tip? It leads to a webpage that provides tips on how whistleblowers or others can securely contact the Times. Could an organization, say a government agency, monitor employees' links to the Times online tip line as a way to identify potential insiders who might seek to leak classified or sensitive information? Certainly an organization has the ability to have a social media policy with individual employees or the entire organization. In that social media policy, it should clearly state what an individual can and cannot do in relation to using social media to communicate what they do within the workplace and the jobs that they're doing and the information they come and access with. So that social media policy should clearly define for the employee what they can and cannot do. From a technical standpoint, it may be possible to implement a detection capability for that, but obviously the general counsel would need to be able to approve that well before it's implemented within an organization. That would be within the confines of the organization's IT assets and where the, uh, the scope of what the organization can or cannot do. How would you characterize the technology available to detect insider threat a half dozen years or so ago when Manning and Snowden access systems they weren't authorized to do? Is today's technology better? Well, certainly that's a pretty broad general statement as it applies to DOD government and industry, and it's hard to tell across all of the industries. Today, many organizations, because of awareness of insider activity, the high-profile incidents that have happened, have taken significant steps to identify ways by which information can leave. And one of those threat vectors might be someone using removable media. Some of it may be sending through email. As a general awareness of the way that information can leave, many organizations are recognizing the threats and attempting to prevent that activity from happening or detect it as it's happening and to alert when it's happening as well. In general, it is better today, uh, but again, better today is relative when you talk in generalities across all those different types of sectors. The Manning and Snowden cases, uh, I gather, did create a lot of awareness in all types of organizations about these kind of threats. Yeah, there's been a significant number of incidents that have occurred. You know, we as an organization collect all insider incidents that we can come across, and whether that be through a media report or through a court document system or organizations even reporting insider incidents to us. Now, we found a significant number in terms of broadly insider incidents increasing over the recent years. Now, that could be through a number of reasons. Uh, as organizations are becoming more aware of insider incidents, as legislative bodies are becoming more aware of insider incidents, there tends to be more regulation in terms of mandatory reporting when certain types of incidents happen. So it, it may not be surprising that there are more insiders being reported because of the awareness, and the awareness then spurs more reporting and more prosecutions as well. But we have certainly seen over the course of about 15 years of research, we have been able to collect about 1,400 incidents where an insider has done, done something maliciously or unintentionally that has caused harm, and we certainly see more and more being reported, which in our opinion is a good thing. And we strongly encourage organizations, if they detect someone doing something maliciously, 
work with HR within their organization, work with general counsel, and strongly consider prosecuting an individual, an insider, that does something maliciously that causes harm to your critical assets, which historically hasn't been done. They just want to hush things up. In many cases, they do not involve law enforcement, do not take legal action. We have a cybercrime survey going back to about 2004. Three out of every four insider incidents have historically been handled inside the organization. No legal action or any type of action taken that involves any external law enforcement or legal action being taken place. Is this increase in reporting because more of it's happening or just the awareness of it and people know about it? Organizations are getting better at detecting it and organizations are recognizing the threat they're detecting more often, and because of the awareness, they're taking steps to to take action legally against those particular individuals. The organizations are getting better at detecting, and they're reporting more often. That's Randy Trezak of the Software Engineering Institute's CERT Insider Threat Center at Carnegie Mellon University. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Eric Chabro.